Welcome to the Production First Mindset, a podcast where we discuss the world of building code from the lab all the way to production. We explore the tactics, methodologies, and metrics used to drive real customer value by the engineering leaders actually doing it. I'm your host, Liran Chemovich, CTO and co-founder of Rookout. Today, our guest is Alon Ashkenazi, who is the VP of Engineering at Indeni, who are building the next gen of infrastructure as code security tools that help companies shift left. He especially cares about the development processes and designing the right CICD to increase quality and shorten the delivery time. In his free time, he loves to take on projects such as building a smart home, a treehouse, and whatever other projects need handcrafting. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Hey, Liran. Happy to be here. So, Alon, can you share with us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So, my name is Alon Ashkenazi from Etzalia, married to Sharon and have three wonderful kids, two girls and a boy. I started my career at the Air Force. After that, moved to Double Verify. Double Verify measure and ensure your digital media is served as intended. Play multiple roles there. The last one was VP of Engineering. Four years ago, I joined in Denny. And in the last two years, we are building a product called CloudRail, which is the next gen of infrastructure code security. Awesome. It's great having you here. So from your perspective, one of the key elements to managing cloud and production infrastructures is infrastructure as code. Why is that? So first, let's understand what is infrastructure as code. So you have cloud native and you have resources there. One way to create resources is go to your console, let's say AWS, or you're going to AWS console, clicking all kinds of buttons and then create your resources. This can be very complicated and cumbersome. Think about environments that have thousands of resources. And not only that, you want this environment to be duplicated to your dev staging, whatever environment. You can have multiple environments that are basically the same. Using infrastructure as code, you can easily create the environment by just clicking a button or running a command. You can integrate it into your CI-CD processes and ensure that all environments are aligned and look the same. So beside that, it helps with a lot of dev processes. So when we adopt infrastructure as code, we took the opportunity and integrated into our CI-CD in a way that each developer has its own environment. So when you're developing a feature, He has the full ownership of this feature end-to-end. This means including the cloud infrastructure resources using Terraform, obviously the feature itself. So before the developer creates a pull request, he already tested end-to-end on an environment that looks like the production. So this gave us a huge improvement in our development processes. From your perspective, one of the key elements of managing cloud and production environments is infrastructure as code. Why is that? So first, let's understand what is infrastructure as code. Infrastructure as code is the approach of managing your cloud resources using code. It can either be by scripting or by declarative definition rather than manual processes. It gives you ability to design, implement, and deploy application infrastructure with known tools and software best practices. Apply both to software and IT, IT infrastructure administrators. For a long time, there was an approach in startup, in high-tech companies in general, that if you build it, you own it. What we're familiar with is that I build the feature, so I own the feature. With infrastructure as code, I also build the cloud infrastructure. So for me, the development processes does not start in the feature. It starts in the application cloud infrastructure. 
So this helps the developer to speed up the development processes. It means that they don't need to wait for some kind of a special DevOps team and bag and wait for them to create their cloud resources. They can just write the Terraform code, the infrastructure as code, and deploy it by themselves. Now, there are many tools for infrastructure as code, whether you are a fan of Terraform or CloudFormation or even newer stuff such as Pulumi. But at the end of the day, infrastructure as code doesn't live by itself. Quite often, you have other stuff that's more manual in the environment, whether it's a key component that have been defined manually from the console, whether it's older systems that are more uh, traditionally defined. Kind of how do those elements coexist? Yeah, so this is a great question. So I will start by saying that we had the luxury of starting a project from scratch. So we decided from day one to start with infrastructure as code as this is also our product. But even for us, we had some cases that it just wasn't, infrastructure as code wasn't the right tool in this specific time for us. So we are also managing manually resources in the cloud. I'll give an example. So while the entire product is being built by infrastructure as code, Some network connection between different cloud accounts and different VPCs are done manually. And we did it just because it didn't make sense to create telephone resources for that. Besides that, companies that already exist in the cloud and want to start working with infrastructure as code have a few options. First, new projects can start with infrastructure as code and can be integrated into existing cloud environment. But also there are tools that can help you create IAC code from your existing resources. While this tool might be very useful, like any software architecture and cloud architecture, there are always special cases for each company. So it doesn't work 1% of the time and doesn't save you all the work that you need to do, but it definitely helps you uh, with a lot of repetitive work that you need to do. So you're saying that we have those reverse Terraform tools that allow you to scan your AWS or Azure or GCP account and kind of generate a pretty good Terraform code out of that. So why doesn't everybody just, you know, migrate to Terraform and be done with it? So first you need to understand the technology. The fact that you have a tool that you can run and just create an IAC resource from your cloud resource doesn't mean that you understand the IAC tool that you are using understand its life cycle, it's very important to understand. So there is this, you know, gap that you need to understand the technology that you are using. And beside that, like I said before, because the cloud architecture can be very complicated, the existing tool doesn't work in 1% of the cases. Obviously, for simple cases, it's fit and it's working. For example, for, you know, very simple intro, it's working. But when you have a very complicated cloud architecture, and you want to control the different aspect of it and different cloud configuration, those tools just doesn't give you a good solution. So how do you see teams go about managing that combination of the new and old, of the manual and the automated in the same AWS account or in connected accounts? So first and foremost, it's the ownership and the tools that you have in order to solve your issues. And I will separate it to two different points. First is the speed that you can develop and deploy cloud infrastructure, where when you do not manage your cloud infrastructure with infrastructure as code, it's a longer turnaround. It's a lot more coordination between different teams. The ownership is spread around different teams most of the time, and it's just a longer cycle, where when you use infrastructure as code, everything can be built into the same pipeline, into the same CI/CD. So it means 
you deliver your cloud infrastructure changes as part of your pull request alongside with your feature. So this is the first aspect. The second one is security, where when you find security vulnerability in the cloud environment, it's much more expensive to fix it. Not talking about the exposure and the risk that you already have because it's in production. While when you are running your code using infrastructure as code in your process, your cloud resources is built using infrastructure as code, you can find security vulnerability much early in your process. This is called uh, shift left. And you can find them early on on dev time or CI CD and fix them. And obviously, it's much, much cheaper to find this there. In the knee, you're building a security platform that just for that, a security platform for securing infrastructure as code. But from what I've heard, you're thinking of things a bit differently than other infrastructure as code companies out there. Yeah, that's correct. So most of the infrastructure as code security tools out there are doing static code analysis. It means that they are looking in your code, static code, the code that you commit to your GitHub or any Git repository, and scan and find security vulnerability. As opposed to our solution, which we are taking both the existing cloud resources and the infrastructure as code resources and merge them together and building graph of dependencies between managed and unmanaged resources. In this way, we can have a better understanding of your cloud architecture as well as less false positive. I'll give you an example. So think about a scenario where some of your resources are managed in IHC and some of them already exist and unmanaged in the cloud. So for instance, you have a server that's exposed to the internet and you want it to be exposed to the internet for various reasons. And this server does not part of your infrastructure as code. It means that it exists in the cloud. And in your infrastructure as code, you're adding a database. And this database sits in the same subnet as the EC2 instance. What will happen is once you will deploy this uh, database into the same subnet as the EC2, you will suddenly have a public access to this database because whoever can connect to your EC2 can now connect to the database because it's sitting in the same subnet. So if you do not have the full picture of your cloud resources and your infrastructure code resources will not be able to catch this vulnerability. So most of the tools will not be able to find this vulnerability where CloudRail do the merge together, the stitch together and build the dependencies graph and give you vulnerability scan of your entire ecosystem. It seems like you have to map every AWS resource within the account, potentially even across accounts if they're cross-connected. So kind of how do you go about that? It seems pretty tricky. So what we are doing, we are collecting the cloud resources from our customer's account. We are asking for a specific role, for a CM role that has a very, very uh, low permission to read all the account data. Obviously, we care about only the resources and not the actual data uh, itself. And what we did, we created an open source called DragonEye. That this is exactly what he's doing, is you are giving him a role, you're giving him permission, and it's just start to do an APL call and fetch your cloud account data. What we are doing later on, we are creating from this cloud account, we are creating a context. We are creating a graph that describes your resources and how they are connecting to each other. Now, you mentioned Dragonite. That's an open source project? Yeah, it's an open source project. We started by using a different open source project that's called CloudMapper which did what we needed only for AWS. But since we are a multi-cloud provider and we needed this capability across all big cloud providers, 
we decided to create additional open source that will do the exact same thing, but on a more performance-oriented way, as well as support multi-cloud providers. Mm -hmm. So Dragonau, you can use it as a CLI, or you can integrate it as an SDK. Have you seen other users adopt Dragonai as an open source project? So Dragonai exists for about five, six months. We did see two free users starting using it, but uh, not a major usage. So open source has to start somewhere. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you mentioned that you are getting access to your customer's account, AWS account, obviously a very limited role but still you're getting some level of access. So kind of how do you go about managing and securing that? Yeah, this is a very, very important item. We have worked with our customer to understand what is sensitive for them. Not only we are taking the cloud account data with this role, we are also taking some of the IAC code, which also can contain sensitive data. So what we are doing, uh, we've worked with our customer and iterate with our solution to ensure that we do not take uh, sensitive data. So, for instance, if a lot of customers are using the tags with all kinds of uh, names, their service name, and they don't want us to know what is the name, obviously IPs and password and, and things like that. So we built into our solution a process that obfuscate and remove and eliminate sensitive resources. Now, what about the Terraform plan itself? Obviously, the Terraform plan, the Terraform state, those include uh, sensitive resources as well. Yeah, so Terraform definitely uh, contains sensitive data. It contains IP, names, other things. What we did in our solution, we are filtering the Terraform plan on the customer side. So we have a CLI that process your Terraform plan, extract whatever we need, and clean up and obfuscate the sensitive data. After that, we are sending the data to our services. Now, you mentioned earlier on that you're building a dependency graph between the unmanaged resources and the IAC plan. Now, obviously, the first time around, it's very, very easy. You can map out the cloud, you see the unmanaged, you have the managed plan, and you can very easily correlate them. But the next time around, uh, some of the managed resources are already deployed, and you are all the CICD is only going to make a small change to that. So you have to map out out of everything that's in the cloud, what's, what's part of the existing and existing plans versus what's unmanaged. How do you go about that? How do you go about figuring out what goes where, what belongs where, so that you can build a dependency graph correctly and identify the changes that are going to take place? Yeah. So for that, you need to understand the internal of your IAC tool. So you mentioned Terraform but it's also applicable uh, when you're using different uh, IAC codes, such as Palumi or CloudFormation. So specifically about Terraform, Terraform plan actually tell you what is about to do. So if you will open the Terraform plan, it's a simple JSON, you will see that it has a section before, after, and what type of action it's going to do. So it's telling you in an object way what currently exists in your cloud account, what IAC managed resources exist in the cloud account, and what is going to be after you're going to apply this Terraform. Mm -hmm. So it's actually telling you what it's about to do. So after processing this information and the taking the cloud data, we can now correlate between mm -hmm. the two. But this information is not available within the, you know, the Terraform layout itself. It's not available within the Terraform configuration. Exactly. And this is why our solution is based on the Terraform plan and not the code itself. Because mm -hmm. on the code itself, you cannot know what it's about to change, only when you look on the, on the plan itself. So how do you integrate with your customers to enable that? So 
we are giving them a CLI. As we said before, Terraform plan can contain sensitive data. So all the pre-processing of the Terraform plan uh, done on the customer side. So we delivered a CLI that take this plan, tear it apart, understand the resources that it has, obfuscate the data, and then send it to our SaaS service. On the SaaS service, on our backend side, we are then taking the cloud account data and creating this graph, doing the stitching and connecting the points together. That sounds pretty complex. And I think the reality is that even if things start out with infrastructure as code, people tend to change them. I mean, sometimes there is an error that you're trying to troubleshoot. Sometimes you're trying to scale up or down, change an IP or whatever. And I'm sure you're encountering a lot of configuration drift. Obviously, some of it goes to the unmanaged, which, you know, it is what it is. Not much to do about it. But I'm guessing you're going to be seeing some uh, drift on the managed configuration as well. Yeah, this is a whole new feature and the capabilities. There are tools that offer this uh, solution, drift detection. So in high level, drift is when you have a managed resource, managed by meaning by IAC, by infrastructure as code, you apply this resource to the cloud and then from some reason you have a production uh, issue that you need to quickly solve and you don't have uh, time to wait for your entire CI CD cycle. So you are breaking the glass and just do the manual change. Mm -hmm. And what happens is that sometimes people forgot that they did this change and they do not open a, a ticket to do the fix in, in the Terraform or uh, they do not revert back. So this is a very dangerous uh, scenario because this change can like, open more uh, permission to some specific server or whatever. So what we are uh, able to do with infrastructure as code, then because we understand what your IEC looks like, we know to correlate the information and to see that there is a change, there is a drift between the IEC, infrastructure as code resource, and what actually exists in the cloud. And that's super interesting. It seems like your product is quite complex. I mean, you have the CLI, you have the cloud platform, you have tons of stuff. And I was wondering kind of what it looks like behind the scene. How did you go about building that product? So we decided to go with a serverless architecture for various reasons. First, scaling. We can have a lot of requests in a single moment, and we didn't want to handle all kinds of uh, auto-scaling or uh, building our own scaling functionality. So we decided to go with Lambda. And basically, we can scale to infinity. Then there are a lot of features and capabilities that we need to build, such as user management. So we choose to go with serverless architecture. Serverless, not the serverless framework, the serverless architecture in general. So we are uh, utilizing Lambda, containers, API gateway, step function in order to build our SaaS solution. So how do you go about building the product architecture for Indony? So we choose to go with serverless architecture. Don't be confused with serverless framework. We choose serverless, meaning Lambda, containers, and our services are stateless, obviously beside the database that need to have persistency. Uh, so whenever we could, we choose to use Lambda, ECS, API Gateway, Cognito for user management, step function to manage all kinds of flows in our systems. I know developing and debugging serverless environment can be quite challenging, uh, whether it's a development environment where it's remote and you can't connect debugger, let alone a production environment when you have these functions and the step functions and the containers, everything kind of interconnected. 
How do you go about debugging and troubleshooting in those environments? Yeah, so obviously you need to have a very, very good monitoring system and the logging capabilities. And you should have a way to be able to, using your logging and monitoring, to track down the root cause. So what we did, we put in place a monitoring system, a serverless monitoring system called Lumigo, that we are using. And every time that we have issue in one of our serverless capabilities, can be Lambda, API Gateway, uh, containers, we are getting a notification in the system. Moreover, we put together a logging capabilities that we can analyze and query and uh, track down the root cause. You've mentioned earlier on that you are releasing your own CLI tools. So it's not just about managing the code running within your serverless environment. Within your cloud, you also have to take care of packaging, deploying, rolling out, and troubleshooting stuff on that CLI that's deployed all across your customer's base. So what, kind of, what are the challenges around having your own CLI tool? So I treat CLI as on-prem product. Okay, It's something that you pack and deliver, and you don't have any control to change it. You need a customer to update in order to deliver a bug fix or new capability. So the release process and the quality, I want to say, should be a bit different. But in our case, we are using the same CI/CD method and applying the same level of quality to our backend as well. But specifically for a CLI, what is important is to make sure that your API is backward compatible. You don't want someone to use your old CLI and then things start to work. Uh, yesterday, it worked for customer A, and then we released a new backend and it didn't update the CLI. So now pipeline is broken. So not only that we are ensuring that we have backward compatibility in the API, we are also integrated a lot of regression testing to ensure that this will not happen. So when we are doing our CI, CD and release process, we have a set of regression tests that takes old CLIs and run a regression test and ensure that the uh, functionality is still working. So this is one part, uh, backward compatibility. Second is when errors happen, you need to know about them. So you need to build a statistic and reporting capability from a CLI. You need to understand your distribution. You need to know how much from a specific version exists in the wild. And if you release something, a new CLI, and it uh, starts to get adopted, you want to quickly know if it solved your issue or created a new issue. So this is why we have a monitoring specifically for CLI and all set of regression tests to ensure that we deliver solid CLI. One of the biggest benefits of infrastructure as code is that you can reuse existing pieces of code. There are essentially millions of templates out there that contain snippets you can use or reuse for how do you set up an EC2 instance, how do you set up a database, and I'm wondering what's the impact of that? What's the impact of those dependencies on your security posture? Yeah, so this is actually exactly what we did. When we started Infrastructure as Code, we used template, right? I want to create a network. I want to create a VPC with subnets. Some of them are public. I want to have some Lambda spin and DC2. So we used a template. Uh, this is basically how you start programming a new project, right? You not just start writing, you're using some kind of template, most of the cases. But what we found out, and actually later on found that Palo Alto Network did research about it, that most of the template for infrastructure as code, or to be more accurate, they found out that 200,000 templates have security vulnerability. So this is why it's super, super important to understand what you are doing, how you are building, what you are using. And when you're starting with, with infrastructure as code, you don't have enough knowledge 
on the infrastructure code itself, you might have, you know, a lot of knowledge in, in security or cloud or cloud resources. So it's very important to use tools or use people's knowledge to understand what kind of uh, security vulnerabilities you can have. So this is why we built CloudRail in order to in order to integrate this uh, security check as early as you can in your development process. Now, there is one last question I want to ask you. It's a question I'm asking all of my guests. What's the single bug that you remember the most from your career? Actually, I have uh, two funny stories that related to bugs. Some product that we worked on, we had an email registration. Okay, you can register to our service using email, username, password. And what we forgot to do, again, very early stage of the product, that we forgot to validate. Uh, your username. So what happened, bug hunters and all kinds of different people found this issue and they started to send emails on our behalf to all kinds of email lists and they use the username in a bad way. They just plugged in a URL. So a lot of email lists got an email from this service that direct to a specific website. Now you can work with your imagination to think what type of URL it was. So luckily, we find it very, very quickly. And after a few minutes, stop first the, the email server and then fix the issue, which was easy fix. But we just didn't thought about it in the first, uh, first time. And the second uh, story about the bug is that on Double Verify, we build a solution to block ads from being shown in inappropriate website. So due to a stupid if-else statement, we just started to block a lot of ads from being served, which cost us a lot of money. Don't know if it's funny, but, you know, the story is that I was so sure that I know what is the bug. I just asked everybody, don't talk to me. I want, you know, I know what to do. I, I'm researching and I know what the fix is. And after 20 minutes, I realized that it's, I'm just wrong and I waste 20 minutes, which is a lot of money in this example. Always important to verify you know what the bug is before you of course. move on. <laughs> before you show that you know what is the bug. Yeah. Alon, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure having you. I hope the audience has learned a bit about infrastructure as code and how to keep it more secure. Thank you for having me, So that's a wrap on another episode of the Production First Mindset. Please remember to like, subscribe, and share this podcast. Let us know what you think of the show and reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Production First. Thanks again for joining us.